Money miners, we've got a big one today. We've got Blair Way, CEO and president of Patriot Battery Metals, coming on the show today to give a bit of insight and a bit of a rebuttal against our comments in from last week. Now, also got Pantoro's tough quarterly to go through, and it's all systems go in Tanzania. This is Money of Mine, Tuesday, 18th of April. JD, Trav, how are we, lads? Matty, JD. I'm looking forward to having a chat with Blair and Expanding on that discussion. Now, JD, you've been banned off hot copper. I have. What has happened? I was a bit too active. So was it a, a spam-related issue or what's going on? What yeah, was apparently the we, we can't advertise our great new mining podcast on hot copper. So I would, I would have thought our, um, our segments are actually pretty relevant to the, dis- to the discussion going on there. So that's a bit yeah, unfortunate. It, as you sort of raised, you know, you wouldn't want to – educate the common investor too much. <laughs> I think that maybe oh, we're seen as a competitor by the market herald. <laughs> there is a bit of over- overlap between the money miners and the hot cropper users, so we don't want to, we don't insult them too much. But <laughs> Well, I think oh, it'd be rude not to chuck the uh, snippet of us interviewing Blair Way today in hot copper. I think that'll get spark some interest. So, yes, maybe potential acquisition coming from market herald soon. Get rid of the competitor. <laughs> right, let's get into it. Uh, Blair is... Just give you a bit of uh, what's coming up. We're, we're going to not go into too much with Blair today because he is actually coming over to Perth next week and we've teed up an interview. I've kind of we've committed to it now. Hopefully, I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. So we're going to have a more in-depth interview next week. But we're uh, as we mentioned previously, we did a bit of a piece on Patriot Battery Metals last week. Look, it's a it's the big hot topic, the massive lithium stock in. Canada, both trading on the TSX and the ISX. We did have a few queries about a couple of things which uh, were received, uh, interestingly, by the Hot Copper and YouTube audience. But, hey, why not go to the horse's mouth? So let's get into it. Blair, we've just got him on the blower now. Right, Blair Way, CEO and President of Patriot Battery Metals. Welcome to Money of Mine, Copper. How are you going, mate? I'm doing great, guys. Nice to meet you. Thanks for uh, now. Thanks for reaching out after we did a little a little YouTube video about Patriot. Uh, a couple of queries that we had, and geez, didn't it spark some hot copper interest? So <laughs> we're uh, why not and why not just go as I said before, straight to the horse's mouth and get the big dog on you. So we really appreciate you getting in touch, mate, and coming on for a yarn. Absolutely, and it's always better to talk to these things as close to the source or the source because that way there's less confusion. And, and as you say, places like Hot Copper or CEO.ca, they have a feeding frenzy on some sort of misquote or miss something, and it, it 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 gets out of control. So this way, we talk it through, and everything makes sense. Well, they're having a good feeding frenzy on us, so we took the heat off you, mate. But anyway, we, we, I look at you, I look at Patriot as you could say it's nearly the it's the Bitcoin of the lithium industry at the moment. You've got a sensational looking intersections and deposit. Uh, it's it's a big humdinger. But there was a – we're just going to play you a little snippet, and this is what initially drew the attention. So this was some uh, bogan Aussie podcast uh, <laughs> referring to you last week. Let's just hear it first. So 5% you're heading towards pretty much pure spodumane. 
In all then, fairness, do we know if that's true width? I mean, we haven't seen cross-sections. Exactly, exactly. And this is what where I was leading to. So yeah, we have at, it. They could have just drilled that right through the strike of the organ. Oh, there you go. Now, that was so, now that was what I brought up. So and the, I guess the question we, nearly, we initially had, where are the drill cross-sections that are is, – or is everything a bit different in Canadian reporting compared to the ASX reporting standards? Well, funnily enough, there is some differences, but it's also I'm a geologist, as, as as sad as that may be. So I'm more of a technical person in many respects, and I hate sections that are, are quite frankly, bullshit. And when you take a section from a proper drill intercept, and I, I see the cartoons that are presented on, on many press releases, I won't name names because that's just a bit nasty, but they're misleading. Now, they can be misleading in a good way and a bad way. And to be honest, I put a few press releases together with sections on it that we did the cartoons and all the technical people got it and you know within our internal review and then all the non-technical people were going well there's something wrong here why is it doing this and it, it it these sections that are put out there until you actually have a proper resource and a proper delineated model and keep in mind this is pegmatite so it does it pinches and swells laterally and to depth it's confusing. And when I see some of the sections my peers, shall I say, are putting out, and they leave this big open swath into your imagination, and it carries on for sometimes 20, 30, 50, 100 meters to depth, you don't know that until you've drilled. So we're drilling, we're providing the data, so technical people can take that, put it in their own favorite modeling software, and they can see. We've also drilled opposite sides, so we're not drilling down dip. You can tell that. By the by, the azimuth and where we're starting from, but yeah, I've I've intentionally stayed away from from sections because they are very misleading. And for me to put one in that's technically accurate will probably upset some people in a bad way and upset some people in a good way. So we elected to keep the sections out until we get our first maiden resource, and then we'll give people all kinds of stuff to chew on. But that is why we've shared that data. So you've got the latitude and longitude and you can feed it in. So technical, I've, I've had this discussion countless times here in Australia and I push back on it every time. You probably, probably like get cartoons. that in Australia because um, because unfortunately our, our, our development history is, is riddled with um, a few companies that notoriously didn't put out cross sections and then when they built the mine, um, it didn't quite stack up. So it was, it's, 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 no, no, it's ab- certainly in, in Australian context as a, as a bit of a, an alarm bell goes off when we, when we get presented with a big discovery that doesn't have cross sections. But you look at the cross sections that are out there, technically they're wrong. I mean, I can, as I said, I can name names. Some this came out the day before yesterday or yesterday, and they show this big extension. They show one intercept of 20-odd meters, and it shows it carrying on to infinity at depth forever at that thickness. And pegmatite doesn't behave like that. We know it has these lenses and, and you know, gets quite squibby in places, to use a term that Ken Brinston likes to use. And in this in this situation, until you really have well riddled drill holes through this thing you're just making stuff up and it is misleading these ones i have the press release open and it's an asx listed company and they're beautiful cartoons but hugely misleading so and they look great don't get me wrong i love the way they look i'd love to feel comfortable presenting that but it is super promotional to show one one drill intercept and extrapolate it over 100 meters to depth when there's no other drill hole deeper than with all due respect you yeah, know, I you know I give you credit to coming on the show. Like you know, it's it's uh, especially when we we were a bit we were a bit um, 
we were poking the bear a little bit with our last video, but with That's all due respect, you know, you, you, you can't call the cartoons promotional when when there's 50 photos of drill core in your announcements, but but no no, photo, but the reason, no, 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 no geological interpretation. Drill core shows exactly, and this is another thing. It actually shows if if you have it with a trained eye, you can see the spodumene. So that's at least showing that the mineralization is truly there in the pegmatite. It's not just mapping the pegmatite; it's mapping the spodumene within the pegmatite. So there's mineralization within the pegmatite, and then you have the pegmatite. So our pegmatite intercepts we share, but the spodumene mineralization within the pegmatite varies within the overall intercept of the pegmatite. So do you want to see a cross section of the spodumene mineralization or of the pegmatite? I think I think you know, honestly, I, I want to see a, a cross section of management's best understanding of the ore body to date. You know, via via again, we know we all know geology is, is more art than science, and especially in the early days. But we get some well, insight as an as an investor. You get some insight out of understanding what management's best interpretation yeah. is at this point in time, and that we, we know that subject to change. That's fine. No, no, but it it is they are misleading. We we extract them from a model, and that model, if there's no data to the to the to depth or to the east or to the west or to the north or the south, then it will pinch it to zero because that's how the model works. In order for us to build the cartoons that is, is more common here in Australia, we have to actually disconnect from the model and hand draw these things and create something that's really not representative of what we know. It's what we hope or we guess. And that's what a lot of these sections are, their hopes and guesses. So we keep it to the facts. The data is there. The technical people that can build a you know, can build the model and can also see the the configuration of the pegmatite deposit. I think when when the mineral <laughs> I mean, resource a, um, comes out later this year, Blair, I, I assume we'll see a lot more actual pictorial representations. We'll, there'll be of the longitudinal body. sections. There'll be cross sections because then we've established those cutoffs to depth to the north, to the south, to the east, and the west. And then you're dealing with a with a clear and concise picture. Also, with a ton of we're going to have sixty or seventy thousand meters in this thing so there's no question about it but the meters that we have drilled has certainly demonstrated significant scale we're not drilling down dip because we've drilled opposite ways so that it's quite clear um and as i said we did i've had a number of news releases that had the cartoons in it and we pulled them at the last minute each time because they were just confusing to to your average reader in, in our opinion thanks for giving your take on that Blair. Yeah. i think we'll, we'll jump into the segment we played it was a, a quote that i had discussed when we spoke last week it's regarding the sort of gold to lithium conversion we'll just play that now and there was there was another statement that blair way the ceo said that stood out to me just reading this the other day to put it into perspective if i said we have identified 10 million ounces and the grade is about two or three ounces per ton You'd say shit. That's pretty significant. So but you did. You didn't say shit either, did you? I please? didn't say <laughs> shit. <laughs> I pointed that out to JD afterwards. He was being too polite. Yeah. So, so firstly, that was, that was great. We heard that on another mining podcast, and it's always good to hear people speak with with the CEOs like yourself coming on today. And yeah, we just want to dig into that a bit. Obviously, we get that things run a bit different in Canada. And no, 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 no. It's just out of context. It doesn't run any different. I can't talk about compare. I was not comparing our deposit to some equivalent. It's even stricter in Canada. That was not an equivalency. What I was saying is it's like, I'll give you an analogy. Here in Australia, I've been here 30 years. If I go and tell someone, oh man, I got this great cruiser U that's like 170,000 bucks. And I go into Canada and I tell someone, what the hell are you talking about? What the hell is a Ute? 
what's a land cruiser? You've never heard of it. I said, oh, no, I just got a great, and I rephrase it. I got this great pickup truck. It's like an F-250. It's loaded. It's awesome. And they'll know what I mean. That's all it really was. It was about getting context. So in Canada, they've never heard of a Pilbara. They've never heard of Minres, for the most part. Not everybody, but for the most part. So I was. it was kind of taken out of context. I understand when I heard you say it. I was like, holy crappers. That's, that's not a, at all what I was saying. I was not saying what we have is equivalent to anything. What I'm saying is if I was talking about a deposit of some type, in Canada, if it was nickel, if it was gold, I could have picked any of them. I chose nickel because it's so easy. Like I was on a, I was on a gold project in Colombia. We had six million ounces, and the grades were awesome. I can, I forget the grades off the top of my head. It was fifteen years ago, and it just got so much attention. Everyone loved it. Now, what I, what I was saying is, we have something pretty significant in respect to lithium, bigger than anything they've ever seen in Canada. How big our deposit? will be defined in a mineral resource. And then that's when people can start to do their comparisons. But if it was somehow misinterpreted, I was saying that our deposit is equivalent to a 10 million ounce. No way. All I was saying is that they understand it. It was putting it into a context of understanding. It had nothing to do with 10 million ounces at whatever I said it was, two ounces per, per ton or whatever it was. There was no equivalency. It was just saying Canadians understand gold. They understand nickel less so zinc but they understand zinc you know that's a phosphate there are things that they really get but they do not typically get lithium and what what makes a good lithium deposit is it 0.1 percent at 100 million tons or is it one percent at 100 million tons yes the average layman in the sector like in the mineral resource sector they're going to go i'm not sure that was that was all my point was i was not trying to if it was mistaken to be that that's my bad i that was not my intention yeah you know you've made it blair you'd have to feel like a bit of a rock when people are actually extracting your quotes apart <laughs> and publishing like them on the internet but yeah pretty much like a president aren't you so yeah you'd have to take i'd be just more flattered by this whole experience than anything well i'm uh, reading i actually got into a cold sweat I'm like holy shit did i actually say that i mean i didn't even say i said shit just now but i said holy crappers on that one so i was like did i I didn't think I said. Now I now I know I can swear more, so that's good. There's definitely there's definitely more. <laughs> uh, there's definitely an element of the well, we call it the tall poppy syndrome in in Australia because yeah, yeah, these widths and well. scale is just initially is looking so big, but there's always that as Trav said before that that potential element of doubt. It's like will it stack up, especially since you've uh, had such a prolific rise in the share price. Um, and we, yeah, and we're, oh, we're yeah. not we're not doubting that you know that this is a phenomenal discovery. Um, no, no, and, I know. And, and I like, just, no, yeah, the, that that to, to us is 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 not on, on at least on my mind. And I'm a, I'm a I'm a skeptic. I'm a cynic, and so I, you know I will. Um, <laughs> I, I'm 100 percent you know wired to 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 hone in on the things that look like BS to Dodgy. me. Yeah, yeah, um, no, I and I and you know and, and one one category um, that you know the, the boys have sort of touched on. Um, the equivalency and, and, and also um, just, just in relation to, to the other parts. But the, the question that's sort of on my mind and, and a lot of people's mind is, is, is in relation to, to the lakes. And yep. I'm sure you get this no, question all the time. But that's you know, my, look, that's look, my number one question in Australia. Yeah, totally. Lakes. Number two is the sections. So, 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 oh, we're so, two so, out so, of three. We're all over let, it. Let me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let me frame the question. Yeah. But, um, you know, like everyone refers to these lakes as shallow. What, like, what does what does shallow mean? Okay, so a shallow glacial lake. If you look at, if you go to Google Earth, you'll see it's prolific with lakes. And what happens is that's a Canadian shield, and it was scraped clear with with that with the ice ages over a number of ice ages, scraped it down right down to the to the base rock. 
the you know, the basement rock. So then it dumps it all back on the ground again as glacial till as the glacial melts away. So you end up with a relatively flat lying continental shelf with the you know undulations, so as to speak, and some harder material sticking up, but mostly it's relatively flat from a continental point of view. And so you end up with as the as the winter happens, it snows and it rains and then sorry, it snows, freezes, then it melts. So you end up with this sort of sheet flow of water from the east towards the west, towards James Bay. So what we have now there's a there is where the we you guys touched on it. We can talk about it more next week, but the Quebec Hydro and what they did there is they aligned a lot of that water flow into one major river so that they could trap it and generate an amazing amount of very cheap power. But for where we are we're south we're about 20 kilometers south of that overall scheme 25 and you're seeing these quite shallow lakes even marshes at times so our shallow lake is around two meters deep there are a couple spots where it had been gouged out and it is a bit deeper probably like seven or eight meters maybe even up to ten the prospectus that you lodged with asx yeah. list those that that lake as between yeah. two to 18 meters deep with an average depth of 10 about 10 meters less than 10 meters so what do you what do you yeah, mean by two to seven? i mean we we've, that was that was in your prospectus yeah yeah so we've we've done hydrographic surveys on it so you do lead line or you know you drop some depths there are a couple spots where it is deeper maybe it is 20 meters and but the average is around two meters we use our driller our drillers use tinnies to go backwards and forwards between the drills up the lake and they keep pinging their prop on the on the rocks i mean there are a couple areas we think it's a fault or something further to the east it is a bit deeper, but for the most part, it's a shallow glacial lake, and the level of that lake even drops from when the snows melted to when we're in sort of midsummer and it dries out a bit. It drops by a couple of feet. So then, depending on the if you take it when it's frozen, then it's obviously a lot shallower because it's frozen for two or three, you know, in some cases, a meter and a half. But they are what are deemed to be shallow glacial lakes, unlike some of the lakes. You'll see further south, you know, towards Toronto and Cottage Country and, you know, Lake Superior or Lake Ontario. Those are massive lakes. So in northern, well, anywhere in northern Canada, pretty typically where you put a mine in, you're going to be impacting a lake either via your deposit or via your tailing storage. So it's a pretty well-defined process. It is a federal process, and you have to go through the through the checks and balances of defining your inflows, your outflows, fish habitat, fish uh, species, and then also working with the First Nations to understand what sort of you know, relevance that particular lake may have for, for their purposes. And we've, we have been working through that with our First Nation uh, community, which is the Cree and the, the Chisasabi. And we've been working with them on, you know, to look at that lake and the lakes surrounding. As I said, it's, it is what the, is considered a shallow glacial lakes. To the north of us, if you go on Google Earth, you can see much larger lakes, and they're a bit more significant, more significant, and that's where they do a lot of their hunting and fishing. If you go even further north, you'll see the reservoirs that were created from Quebec Hydro, and they're even more significant. They're quite a bit deeper. They're probably you know up to, you know again, I, I'm sort of saying over 100 meters deep, in some cases possibly 200 meters and that's where the fishing is best up there. So there yeah. is a very well-defined federal process for permitting uh, the the removal or draining of a lake or waterway in order to access some mineral resource. Yeah, and Not I think, I think that's, the, that, that's, yeah. the, that's the crux of the question I'm trying point. to get to is, is you know, yeah. we're trying to evaluate what, like, you know, in, in Australia we have a, a wide array of different approvals processes and, and, yeah. and environmental approval is becoming harder and harder over time. Um, and and, and, and as, as an investor... Um, in, in an early stage 
uh, discovery project, you're, you're constantly trying to evaluate what is the probability that this thing will actually become a mine. And, and yep. when there's such a binary outcome in environmental approvals, that number matters a lot. And so, you know, in your own sort of investment materials, you point to, um, you know, Renard Mine and, and also Diavik as, as other Quebec Very um, good operations. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the approvals process for, for both of those, one was approved in 1999, the other one in, in 2012. So, um, like, is, do you think it's a fair representation to, to draw on the same framework Absolutely. that approved those mines yeah, as it, it would be for Patriot? Absolutely. In fact, more recently since that, um, critical elements were Rose Lithium Deposit and also finally uh, James Bay um, Lithium also got their permit. They all are impacting waterways. Um, Namaska also impacted waterways. So, in fact, it's pretty hard to find a mine in Canada that does not impact a waterway and hasn't had to go through that federal process. Not every single one. I have to be careful what I say and get quoted, but the majority of mines... You wouldn't want that again. <laughs> in, no, no, we can't. You know, the majority of mines in, in Canada, God, it's a bit like if I was to say to you, we're going to build this mine and there's a bloody desert there. Like, we can't do it. No, desert, man. There's only one desert. Two deserts in Canada, it's sacred. We can't touch that thing. Whereas if you go to WA, it's pretty much all desert. So, you know, building in the desert is sort of commonplace in Canada. I'm not saying we just are flipping about it, but there is a very clearly defined process. I, I built this, the uh, Sun Metals refinery in North Queensland under the first EIS that was ever put in place um, in Queensland or certainly one of the first, I believe it was the first, but again, be careful what I say. One of the first, if not the first in North Queensland, we had zero discharge to the reef, you know, to, to the ocean because of the reef. Now, Queensland nickel was, was built, um, uh, in the seventies. So 30 years earlier, and it also had a, a different environmental compliance requirement. They are still, they had different levels of discharge, and that's since changed over the years as that plant was evolved and eventually shut down due to other reasons in the actual operation. But I guess my point being is that the relevance of the lakes and the ability to permit within the boundaries of being able to drain a waterway in order to access a mineral deposit is well within the scope today as it was five years ago. I'm not saying it's easy and there is a process that you have to go through, but it's like any other permitting process, just like in Queensland and WA, there's a very clear rule book and that rule book can be worked to. I, I have you know been involved with projects in developing nations where those rule books are constantly changing and I'm, they're not changing because they're, say, getting more tough or more easy or whatever. They're just changing because of the change of government. The EIS process in Canada has been in place for many years, and it does evolve. There are more studies that we have to do in order to demonstrate that we're, we're minimizing the amount of impact that we have. And that's one of the reasons the first environmental baseline work I did was last summer, because I wanted to understand that lake. We did a survey of the lake. We did a survey of the inflows and outflows. And we have to monitor over a number of seasons so that we're as well-informed as we can when we, when we define what it looks like, when and where we have to put in a bund wall in order to drain that aspect of the lake in order to access the deposit as, as we define it in our mineral resource. So, so it, it is, it is well-defined. If you're going to stack up the draining of the lake alongside on-site construction, the, that whole process, is, is the draining of the lake, the, I guess, the most critical path towards production for this project, would you consider? 
It's probably one of the more time-consuming aspects of it, but we've been advised with the permitting team that we brought on board, and they're, they've spent the majority of their career um, in Quebec and are very familiar with both the permitting and draining of lakes as well as just permitting the processing facility and, and everything else we have to do in order to, in order to get into production. And they've advised me, and, and based on other statistical evaluations, some of our peers in, the, in recent years, such as critical elements, such as James Bay, if we submit our project description and then we submit a good EIS, not a crappy EIS, if we submit an EIS that has covered all the things we're asked for by the government, it's a two and a half year process in order to get to the point where we can start construction. We believe that's achievable if we do a good EIS. And that's one of the reasons why my press release the last week talks about our environmental baseline study. You won't see a lot of exploration companies doing this level of work at this stage of an exploration play. But for us to be sure that we have all that baseline information, to be sure our EIS actually addresses all the concerns we believe that will be raised as a normal process of permitting a project like that. So we're doing this work as soon as we can to benefit from not only this summer, we'll end up doing some for next summer as well. So we have multiple seasons in order to ensure that we actually, my goal is to submit to the federal and uh, Quebec government the best EIS they've seen so that we can be sure that we push it through. There are some good examples, recent examples of kind of subpar EISs that have been put in and they get asked to do more work, then they have to go through another seasonal cycle. And that takes time. That's not the fault of the permitting process. That's the fault of the proponent. They may be trying to save a few bucks or cut a few corners when they're doing their permitting. There is no question that the environmental side and the permitting side is critical to any project anywhere you execute it in the world now. So you can't hide from it. You got to take it, take it on head on and start doing your environmental work earlier rather than later. There's always a risk that maybe it doesn't end up being used because of some later issue comes up. But if you don't have those that historic baseline information, you're going to have trouble getting your permitting. Uh, good stuff. Right. Well, thanks very much. We really appreciate you coming on. And as I said, next week we'll uh, on Monday we'll get into real in depth about plenty more about the project. Uh, tra- JD and I will be there, but travel will be, di- <laughs> travel will be dialing in, so you won't be able to get physical again. Oh, I can't get physical. If you too much. Yeah, I appreciate, still, appreciate I guess- you joining, Blair. I mean, you know, you, <laughs> you come to Australia and, and uh, because we understand lithium more, but um, we, we certainly don't understand draining lakes and we do like no, cross-sections. But there definitely are lakes in Australia where they have mines in the middle of them. So, so lakes, I'll, yes. I'll get them. There's still lakes. <laughs> and they flood. Ah, good on you, mate. Oh, we look forward to catching up uh, next week, mate. And uh, again, really Sounds appreciate good. you coming on. All right. Great to catch up, Thanks, guys. Blair. We'll see you next week. Cheers, Cheers mate. mate. All right. What do you reckon, boys? The... Uh, didn't... It didn't... didn't wasn't shy in uh, coming forward against you, Trav. Oh, look, I, th- I thought there was a bit of, a bit of two-way uh, tussle going on there. Um, I'm not... Can, you know, like, uh, to be honest, I didn't find his... his answers compelling to the questions that we put to him from an investor perspective but i did appreciate the fact that he came on the show and i'll give him credit for that right well plenty more questions to fire at him on uh monday monday the, the jack russell will be in kiaguli over the phone so it'll be all gay right let's get on to pantoro uh trav feels like he's repeating himself a bit here for uh gold new gold producers that are missing the mark what's happening with pantoro's quarterly trav yeah, so you're, you're right. Like Pantoro has come out with their quarterly, and um, you know this is a, a similar 
story to Red Five and Calidus that we've we've already told. You know, there are differences, but again, this is you know a gold a WA gold developer that's raised money, built a gold mine, and had some issues on ramp up. Those um, the the quarterly that came out today essentially shows that they have a cash balance of seventy nine million dollars, and that grabbed my attention because in February this company raised seventy five million dollars. Um, and I think that just goes to show that the, the, the degree to which their current operations are not making money. In fact, they're losing they're losing quite a, quite a bit out the door there. So, in, in February, Pandoro announced a merger with Tulla, which is their joint venture partner at the Norseman Gold Project. And simultaneously with that merger, uh, Pandoro raised seventy five million dollars at a thirty two percent discount, which is a pretty big discount. When they raised the money, they pointed to the following issues on ramp up. This is just, just some of some of the specific ones. One was um, in relation to Open Pit, and they 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 reported that they had below expectation drill and blast productivity, causing excess dilution. Maddie, curious to get your take on what that means. Oh, I wouldn't say I'm an Open Pit expert, but any any dilution means that you've taken. Uh, material beyond the ore body that wasn't included in the design so we talked about uh, suboptimal blasting and look this could be suboptimal blasting at, when they're talking at St Barbara but subop like that means you're usually bridging or you're leaving something behind but when they refer to dilution means you're actually taking a lot of waste with the ore body that you weren't anticipating on taking so and then that dilution could possibly put the pitch shell out of shape which would then cause dilution further on so look hard to know without being there but it's means that you're carting more dirt and the grades dropping so. I, I do know at norseman that the the gold mineralization there is pretty indicative of these narrow nuggety veins so would, would it be a higher probability that you would get dilution given mineralization like that well, di- dilutions only. There's planned dilution and unplanned dilution. So when, if there's a there's a thin vein, you, there's a component of planned dilution that is like the ore body shape that you're willing to take, like your minimum mining width. It's when you then go beyond that and there's wall failure, rock failure, whether it's um, open pit or underground, that is and it it fails onto the dirt. So the only way to get that gold dirt out is to bog or excavate and or dig that dilution material with it because it's all mixed in together. So that's your unplanned dilution. Good good insight, Matty. The, the Pleasure, lads. <laughs> so, you know, and in Pantoro's case, stage one of their mine plan, it relies on providing a base load feed from the Scotia um, open pit and together mixed with high grade from the OK underground. That's that's the plan and sending both, both of those feeds through the mill. Uh, while they're doing the cutback on Scotia, there's been an over-reliance on the feed from Green Lantern, this this deposit nearby Scotia open pit. And the Green Lantern grade to date has has disappointed with the ore there uh, being 0.79 grams per tonne for the quarter. While um, and, and, and that compares to the reserves that are on Green Lantern at 1.3 grams per tonne. So, so keep, you're just keeping in mind that the, the gold... In Norseman is quite nuggety, so I think there is a higher potential for grade discrepancy when when, when modelling as well, um, be, purely because you you have these very high concentrated hits and you're trying to average that out over 
um, a, a large area. And so it, it, could, it could go. It could go either way. It depends if you if you're hitting the nuggety bits and then smearing that across, or you could be missing the nuggety bits and you're getting a positive reconciliation on the dirt. So which is the better option? And it speaks to the dilution issues they're having at open pit as well. Yeah. And then at Scotia, they, they actually have been processing some feed from Scotia, but advancing the, the cutback as well. And and the, the grade there to date uh, has been better than at Greenland. It's at to date in the quarter it was 1.08 grams per tonne, but that still leaves a bit to be desired when you compare it to the 3.6 grams per tonne open pit reserves for that pit. Um, and and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're ultimately kind of guiding to the fact that the cutback that they, they, they've been advancing at Scotia is going to lead to getting more of the high grade out and so things will be getting better there. In the quarterly, however, there was no mention of uh, a refinance process. I'll note that that Pantoro has $30 million of drawn debt and they're merging with Tala who have $37 million of drawn debt and the two companies together when, when they announced their merger um, said that Pantoro would be seeking to refinance that. Um, and and there's no steer to it towards any any advancement on, on that process. And both of those respective facilities, uh, by my math, were sort of looking to have some repayments due in this coming quarter now. So it'll be pretty pretty interesting to see how that pans out, given that the current operating cash flow from Norseman um, is 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 negative, and servicing debt on top of that looks pretty tricky. Albeit they will have. You know, like Pandora's got $75 million of cash. Tala um, might have some net cash at, when they merge together, but that net cash position might actually be neutral when you offset it with the, the debt. So they might be neutral net cash um, at, at merger by my math. And then if they, they'll, they're really under pressure to, to make Norseman make money. Um, and a lot of that is going to hinge on the grade that they get out of the ground. Is Do you see there's a bit of a fine line risk between these open pit, high tonne, low grade gold operations. Like you've got Capricorn being a very successful company with it, but then a lot of companies like like Calidus and we've obviously seen Pantoro with their open pits and look, Gascoigne, like open P- pits P- that are really hitting the mark. Well, Pantoro is a different kettle of fish there, I think, because Norseman is high grade, well, it's supposed to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's only one million tonne per annum plant there because, because of the grade. So I think it is, it's in its own separate category. But, you know, especially the higher the, the higher the plant, then I think, you know, absolutely the, the higher the focus should be on the execution and, and, and management and skill, et cetera. I think, I think with, with Pantoro, you have pretty high strip ratios because of these, these narrow veins and, and high grade. And so there's just a lot of costs that are associated with, with mining dirt like that. And I think they, they, they're really under pressure to get to that high grade stuff that we're seeing in, in the reserves um, soon for the math to stack up. Right, on to the all happening in Tanzania, JD, our resident Tanzania expert, or your father probably probably is. But uh, look, all happening, a couple of projects, a uh, bit of government signing, all happening at once. What's going on over in uh, sunny Africa, mate? Yeah, that's right. So Peak, Rare Earths, Evolution Energy and Ecograph have all come out with announcements today from a, a signing ceremony with the government of Tanzania. Like you said, the um, the president of the country was there too. So they've all come out with variously worded documents, framework agreements, special mining licenses, they've all been signed. So it's something that each of these companies had flagged last week that it all told the market that they've uh, booked in the date with the government and they're now come out today and said, 
these have been signed. So this is a, a pretty big deal. If we um, roll back the clock about five or six years, the state of Tanzania and foreign direct investment in the country was quite different. And it all sort of came to a head in 2017 when Acacia Mining got given a tax bill of 190 billion US dollars. So that was with regards to apparently not paying the right taxes, going back a long way. So that was a company that was majority owned by Barrick. They eventually settled that for 300 million. But that sort of case essentially closed off Tanzania to foreign direct investment for quite a few years. And it, it had to wait really until the president at the time passed away. A new president came in, a new mining code was drawn up. And along with these sorts of agreements that we've seen today, we saw Orcorp come out with in the last year and a half or so, really shows the market that Tanzania is open for business again. So the structure they've gone forward with is something that we see across the board in, in Africa in, in various different sort of structures. So the government will have a non-dilutable 16% free carried interest. Now, what that means for people new to the investment space is that the government will, the government will essentially be given 16% of the company. They won't have to pay for that 16%, obviously, and they won't have to make the capital expenditures and investments going forward. So it's worth just comparing how this looks in Tanzania versus other countries and worth whether it sort of stacks up and whether that might be an in, in a, a jurisdiction that you might want to invest in. So we look at places like Mali, they have a 10% free carried interest, Congo 10%, Burkina Faso 10%, Guinea came out with 15%, Ghana 10%. And it's also important to note that a lot of these also incorporate a, a royalty type of structure. They often include a right to acquire more and also worth remembering that there are various tax policies in all of these countries so they can sort of balance and weigh each other off. So on the other hand, you'll have countries in Africa that won't have these free carried interests at all, but they might have a, a much stronger emphasis on, on royalties. So. I think the key thing for investors going to places like this and even in Western countries as well is just to really look for stability. That's what all investors want. And I think now that they have this in Tanzania, debt investors, equity investors will be much more comfortable than they can just sort of assess the asset for what it is. And I think the next key step for all of these projects that we've highlighted today will be to secure that funding and go on and construct the projects. Because those, those royalties as well, they're calculated off the... Uh usually, or correct me if I'm wrong, like the gross sales revenue, not the actual profits of their, depending on what they produce and their costs are too high, can really, really take a chunk out of their profits. Yeah, you'll have an NSR, net smelter royalty, and they can often be on, on sliding scales. For example, in Zambia, you'll see, depending on what the, the copper price is, that scale will uh, slide higher. There you go, trip to Tanzania. Let's go to the, what is it, the... Um Oh, I've gone blank. The jungle. The savannah. That's in Tanzania, isn't it? Is it? The savannah. Is it? The savannah's in Tanzania. Learning hey, every day, if you mate. If it's not the name of a mine, I don't know it. We're going with we're going with Tanzania. Right. Recap of all other news, lads. Ernest Henry has resumed mining after the rainfall that brought production to a halt from heavy flooding. Uh, so they're back into it, Evolution Mining. Critical Resources, CRR, have intersected some near-surface spodumene at their Mavis Lake project in Canada. You've got Aeris Resources, AIS, they've released an updated mineral resource and reserve statement. Copper's up 3%, zinc's up 5%, and gold up 6%. 
OD6 medals, the rare earth play. They've released some rare earth assays and they're up 32% today in early trade. Core Lithium, they come out with an upgrade to the Finnis Mineral Resource and Metals Acquisition Corp. They've raised 112 million US bucks for its purchase of the CSA copper mine from Glencore. Now, that's been going on a while. So the company will pay for this deal an initial $775 million, but a headline figure of $1.1 billion for CSA in Cobar. So uh, one of the highest grade, gold mine, uh, highest grade copper mines in the world, CSA. So, lads, thank you very much for the day. Thanks again to... Blair Way for coming on and uh, experience a bit of love from Trav Ricciardo. So uh, look forward to chatting to him again next Monday. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Peace out, Money Miners. You like this bit, don't you, JD? Hooroo. The information contained in this episode of Money of Mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation and needs.